the last day that I was in Kenya, we went to a museum that had recreated the 23 tribes of Kenya and showed us how each village would have been built and how each family unit had certain huts for a cookhouse or for a stable. Each one of these little villages showed how the more wealthy you were, the more wives the husband would have. There were huts for the first wife, and that was the largest hut, and then the second wife's hut was just a little bit smaller, and down the line it went. But wealth was more often visible through the fatness of the husband. He had more food. He had more, if, if he had more money, that meant he was able to generate more food, and so he ate well, and he had more wives. As I was trying to spend my very last Kenyan shillings, uh, as it was the last day, I was trying to get rid of all of my money. I got into a conversation with a man trying to sell me a musical instrument for way too much money. Now, I collect uh, interesting percussion instruments from around the world. Yes, yes, your pastor is cool like that. As he and I were negotiating on a better price, I said, well, your price is too high. You see, I'm just a poor American. And he looked at me with a gleam in his eye, and he reached over and began to rub my tummy. (laughs) And he said, you must have five wives. (laughs) It's true that I'm large, but I only have one wife, and she's a good one. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, and you're wondering, what does this have to do with Hebrews? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 says this. By faith Noah, when, warmed about, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family, and by faith... He condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that came by faith. The question that I have for us this morning is why in the world did God choose Noah? When God destroyed the world with a flood, archaeologists calculate and guess that approximately there was about one million people on earth at that time. So Noah really was one in a million, right? So why would God choose Noah? Imagine if you were God. What kind of person would you choose to start the human race over again? Who would you choose if you were God? Well, they would have to be somebody smart. They would have to be somebody that was polite. They would have to be just the absolute best human possible, right? Why would he choose Noah? The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. So the scripture is saying God looks at the heart, right? The story of Noah is in Genesis. It's in the very first book, Genesis 
6, 7, 8, 9, it, it tells the story of Noah and the ark. And from those four chapters, we glean the five characteristics that God saw in Noah. And it's the, it's the characteristics that God looks for in us. The first characteristic is found in Genesis 6, 5 and following. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Lord saw how great man's wickedness in the earth, on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Sounds depressing, doesn't it? And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I'll wipe out mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God looked down. And he found one man that he was going to use. So why did God choose Noah? Well, the first thing was that Noah was a faithful man who was available. That's pretty obvious. Noah was available. The fact is, here's the entire population, but God can only find one available person. You see, in God's eyes, availability is much more important than ability. Availability is much more important than ability, and all of us should say, Amen. Thank the Lord for that. You see, your attitude is much more important than your talent. Most of us use our ability as an excuse. Oh, I, I can't do that. God could never use me. I have not read that book yet, or I haven't studied that far, or I don't know how to do that. I can't do anything. But God is much more concerned with your attitude of, of availability. Anthony Coppola was a professor of sociology, and he was invited to speak at another college. And he drove to the college, and before he was to speak, several men took him into the back room and began to pray for him that God would use his speech that day. And while these men were praying, one of the men off the cup, off the cuff began to pray, and Lord, you know about Bert Harris. Bert Harris needs you really bad, Lord. He lives in the trailer court down the street, and he's considering leaving his family and his wife. And Lord, if you could just get through to Bert Harris, that would be great. And then he went on with his prayer. Anthony Coppola thought that was a strange way to, or at least a strange time to pray for that. He went out and spoke and finished and got in his car and began to drive home. And on his way down the highway, he stopped and picked up a hitchhiker. And, you said, and he said, you know, I know you're not supposed to pick up hitchhikers, but being a Baptist preacher, sometimes I, I, I get a captive audience and I'll take advantage of it, he said. So he gets the guy in the car and begins to talk to him. And he says, by the way, what's your name? He said, my name is Bert Harris. Anthony Coppola 
stopped the car without saying anything, turned around, and immediately headed back in the opposite direction. The man said, Where, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking you back to your wife and your family that you're trying to leave. The man turned white in fear, and he didn't say a single word. They drove straight up to the guy's trailer. He said, how do you know where I live? Anthony Coppola said, God told me. And in a way, he really had. Anthony took the man inside. The family was put back together, and the marriage was restored. You say, how come God doesn't do that to me? I wonder what would happen if every day we said, Lord, I'm available. If you will make your life available, God will put his power on display in your life. What if every single day as you slip, sip your morning coffee, you purposely told God, Lord, I'm available for whatever you want me to do today. Lord, if you want me to say something to my neighbor, Lord, if, if you want me to speak your words, if, if you want me to represent you in whatever way, I will do that. What if we started our day just like that every day, telling God of our availability? I think that when we get to heaven, we are going to be amazed at the people that God has used I think we're going to be amazed that they're not all superstars. They're not super gifted. They're not hugely talented people. They're ordinary people with faults and hang-ups and fears just like you and me. They're not necessarily brilliant. They're of average intelligence. They are just simply available to be used of God. And that's how we found Noah as well. He wasn't a superstar. He wasn't brilliant. He wasn't great looking. He didn't have anything going for him except he was available. And the longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize God does not need more superstars. He just needs normal folks just like you and me who are available. I want to be used by God. Here I am. Look at the disciples. They were poor fishermen. Sometimes they were selfish. A lot of times they just did not get what Jesus was trying to do. They didn't understand what Christ's simple parables were, but God used them because they were available. The second thing that we see in Noah was that Noah was a faithful man who dared to be different. In verse 9, we, we continue the story in chapter 6. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now, if you have your Bibles open there in verse 9, I want you to underline that, that sentence. He was blameless among the people of his day. Morally, Noah was a man of deep conviction. He dared to be different. He was not afraid to stamp, stand out. He was not afraid to stand alone. He was not afraid of what other people thought. 
He wasn't out to win a popularity contest. He dared to be different because he decided to walk as a righteous man. Now, at this point in the world's history, society was, a, was morally bankrupt. We saw it in verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was evil all the time. It's pretty bad. In 11 and 12, it talks about the corruption. It talks about violence and immorality. It was an evil time, and it was getting worse and worse. And the scripture says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all of the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Yet Noah didn't seem to be influenced by any of these, in in spite of the fact that he lived in a very terrible society. It says that he was blameless among his colleagues. He was blameless among those that he lived with. He was not afraid to stand alone. Now, the scripture uses a term for the very first time in all of the Bible, right here in chapter 6, verse 9, and it used the word, uses the word righteous. First time in the Bible that, that shows up. Righteousness or righteous is a very interesting word. It really is a, it comes from the Mesopotamian language from a reed, a river reed. Now that reed was always very strong and very straight. So they, they used this reed to measure the horizontal straightness of fences or, or walls as they built it. Righteousness, this Mesopotamian reed, was used for them to, to measure if something was straight or not. So God uses this term to be, to be used at, uh, representing his nature. God was the straight edge. He was the ruler by which everything and anything would be measured and evaluated. Now Noah was now receiving that term righteous to describe his life. That's quite a statement. Noah dared to be different because he decided to follow God no matter the criticism. Someone wrote, how startling must have been the announcement of the threatened destruction. There was no outward indication of it. The course of nature and experience seemed against the probability of its occurrence. The public opinion of mankind would ridicule it. The whole world would be arranged against him, yet persuaded the communication was from God through faith, he set about preparing the means of preserving himself and family from the impending calamity. Think about the criticism that Noah probably received as he was building the ark. Can you imagine what the neighbors had to say? Man, Noah is crazy. He's crazy. There, there's this old man Noah out building a boat in his backyard. Can you hear all of the neighbors gossiping about him? 
They'd see him in the grocery store buying his laundry detergent, and they'd be whispering behind his back and laughing at him. He's this really strange old fellow. He thinks the world is going to come to an end. Then there was the family members. The kids would go to school. What's your daddy do? Well, he's an ark builder. Right. Dad, that boat on the backyard is so embarrassing. Why can't you get a normal job? Can you just stand in, can you just be in the living room listening to the kids talk to their dad? Dad, you're embarrassing us. They're talking about how you are all, all focused on this doomsday stuff. What do we say to our friends, Dad? Could you put up with being misunderstood and criticized not just day after day, not just month after month, not just year after year, but decades after decades? It took him 75 years to build the ark. Conformity is often the enemy of Christianity. Most of us don't have to worry about being persecuted for our faith in Christ. Nobody's going to come to your door and knock it down and haul you off to jail, at least now. But we get worried when we are seen as being different, dressing different, acting differently at parties, making different moral decisions than everyone else. We don't want to be different. Those of you who are old, like me, might remember back in the 80s, there was this kind of strange singer by the name of Boy George. Anybody remember that name? He had a song by the name of Karma Chameleon that said, I am a man without conviction. Sounds pretty sad to me. He just wanted to blend in. I don't have any beliefs. I don't have any convictions. I'm just a man without conviction. Noah was not afraid to stand alone. While everybody else was going their own way toward destruction, he said, I will not participate in those kinds of things. He was blameless among the people of his time. The book of Proverbs says the fear of man is a trap. That means if you worry about what other people think, you're already in trouble. If you worry about how do I look, you can let, never live for God successfully. If you worry about what does everybody think, you're in trouble. Noah was available and he was willing to be different. He was willing to stand out in a crowd. He had conviction. And what gave him the confidence to be different for so many years? Well, in verse 9 it says he walked with God. That's why. He had a relationship with God. He was in constant fellowship with God. He had a relationship with God and that gave him the strength to say, I don't care what everyone else does. I'm going to do what God says is right. But Noah was a faithful man who also followed God completely. 
In verse 22 it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him to. If there were a key word in this story, something that repeated over and over and over, it would be the word everything. Everything. Noah did everything just as God commanded him in verse 22. In 7.5 it says, Noah did all that the Lord commanded of him. Where did we ever get the idea that it's okay to do most of the things that God wants us to do? Where did, we, where did we hear that? It's okay just to sin just a little bit. The, those, those little lies, those are white lies. Those are okay versus the other type of lies. Worship attendance, just get there most of the time. If you don't stay up late that night. Taxes, eh, the government has enough money. I can fudge on those, right? That's what I'm talking about. We obey God all of the time, not the majority of the time, not most of the time, not just when it's easy, not just when others are looking, not just on Sundays, not just when you feel like it, but completely, without question, all of the time, is there an amen in the house? The people God uses are people who follow directions without making excuses. Genesis 6.22, Noah did everything just as God commanded. It doesn't say that he did some of the things the way he wanted to. It says that he did, he did everything as God commanded. In Genesis 7.5, it says, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Not some, not partial. He did it all. It was an unconditional obedience. Do you realize that obedience is simply another word for faith? If you, say, if you say, I've got a lot of faith, you're basically saying, I will obey God without question. Totally and completely. If anybody had an excuse to do only some of what God wanted, it was Noah. The project God gave Noah did not make sense. I, I challenge you, after you take your Nazarene nap this afternoon, open your Bible and just begin to soak in the story, 6, 7, 8, and 9 in Genesis, the story of Noah, and begin to ask the question, what was Noah thinking what were the people thinking? What was God thinking? What was going on in the world? That, I, I just, I, I can put myself in most Bible stories. This one, it's hard for me to comprehend. But it's a good Bible, uh, a Bible experience if you'll stand in that this afternoon. The project God gave Noah didn't make sense. Did you know that the Bible says that until the time of the flood, it had never rained on earth? It had never rained on earth up until this story. Let me say it again. It had never rained from the, they had never seen water come in droplets from the sky. 
In Genesis 2, it says that the way the earth was watered was from a mist that came up from the ground, kind of like dew that we might see in the mornings. The whole atmosphere was different because it had never rained on earth. That's why the first time Noah and his family saw a rainbow, it surprised and amazed them. So here's Noah building an ark in the middle of a desert. And they say, why are you doing that? And he says, because it's going to rain. And they say, what in the world is rain? Do you get this? It had never rained from the sky. And he was building a bark, uh, an ark, <laughs> bark. He was building an ark to deal with the mist coming from the ground. It didn't make sense. Not only had it never rained, but Noah was 500 miles from a large body of water. He wasn't building it on a coast. He was building an ark that is greater than the length of our building, not just the sanctuary, but our building 500 miles from the large from a large body of water it didn't make sense and people said why are you building this boat in the middle of the desert because it's going to rain and i need to float god says for me to build this and they have to say it's crazy you are just a crazy old man stand in his sandals as he's trying to explain what he doesn't understand. He's just saying, I, I have faith. I, I don't understand it, but God told me to do this. Can I tell you, you don't have to understand why God tells you to do something for you to say, yes, sir. God's asked Darla and me to do some things that we did not understand. Ask us to move to certain countries or different states or different churches. We didn't understand. But God knew. He knew what was coming. He knew what was best for us and what was best for his church. But the greatest thing was how in the world was God going to round up all of those animals. God was available. Uh, Noah was available. Noah dared to be different. Noah followed God completely. And that's why God could use him. I don't understand how all of those animals came together two by two. I don't understand all of that. Somehow God did an amazing thing by using an available person who was willing to say, Lord, I don't care what they say. I'm going to follow you. The fourth was that Noah was a faithful, faithful man who never gave up. Noah is a key example of patience and persistence and determination. As I said before, it took him 75 years to build the ark. It's very interesting. Six, seven, eight, and nine give a pretty 
detailed historical markers, how many years it took to, certain, to do certain things. It's, one of my exercises was trying to figure out all of how, how, how long certain people lived and how long it took to do certain things. It's pretty easy to figure that out in those chapters. But here's the question, or questions. If you want to be used by God, could you maintain enthusiasm for a project that took as long as needed to complete? Could you maintain commitment? Could you maintain commitment, uh, uh, focus for 75 years? They teased him. For 75 years, he sought after wood and nails and drew blueprints and neighbors laughed at him and his kids were like, Dad, come on. For 75 years. Do you think that you could keep your motivation up? Do you think that you could stay excited and keep going and keep focused as long as it took if God called you? I bet there are weeks that he wanted to say, I don't want to work on it anymore. I'm tired. I've done my duty. I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't feel like it. I'm tired of people teasing me. But he is an example of persistence day in and day out, building and nailing and sawing for 75 years. I'm sure he thought, I've worked on this thing for 50 years. I've worked on it for 60 years now. I've worked on it for 70 long years. Give me my retirement money. I've done my share, but Noah never gave up. Listen, one of the reasons why God does not use many people is because they give up too soon. One of the reasons why God doesn't use many people is because they give up too soon when right around the corner the fruit is waiting. God used Noah because he was a man of commitment. He never gave up. Never gave up. Every day as he nailed those nails and sawed those boards and boards and and got everything into shape and pulled all the animals together, he was saying to the world, I believe in God. No matter what, I'm committed to what he has me to do. And that's why he stood out. And for 75 years, he followed God because of his commitment. Now, as a Bible student, you and I have to finish the story. Chapter 9, there's an epilogue to the post-ark story that, to be honest, I would prefer to skip. I, I wish it weren't there, but in some ways I'm so glad that it's there. It's kind of a sad, the sad side of the end of his life. The Bible says that he was this man who lived a blameless life, 
the only godly man in the world that had faith and persistence and availability and all of these things that God had said was great about him. He built this ark. It took him 75 years to build, and then he goes into the flood. We haven't even talked about what happened during the flood yet. And then the land dried out. And then the scripture says that he built a vineyard and the grapes fermented. And then unfortunately, the story ends with he got drunk and he took off all of his clothes and made a fool of himself. And his kids had to protect him from his own nudity. Why? (laughs) He had this spotless record. And then at the end of his life, he becomes careless. And he gets drunk and he hurts his influence and hurts his family. The Bible often gives examples of great men and women blowing it but they were still greatly used of God. It's an interesting dichotomy. Moses murdered. David committed adultery and murdered. And Peter denied Christ. And the disciples were selfish many times. When everyone was disobeying and Disappointing God. Noah also disappoints. He also dishonors God. But on the other hand, I think it's an encouragement to me and to all of us. It goes back to the thesis that God uses ordinary people. And can I tell you, I am looking at the best ordinary people possible right now, including me. We're all just normal blokes. We're not superstars. We're just us'ns. Can I use that word around here? It's just us. Just normal people. And if Noah had never, if Noah had never done anything wrong in his life, we'd say, oh, he's too perfect. I could never be like Noah. The fact is, Noah wasn't perfect. He was human. He, he did sin. He had a problem. He made a fool of himself like we all have. But in spite of that, God still put him in Hebrews chapter 11. The chapter that we call the hallmark of faith chapter. When God lists several people who are great men or women of faith. That's the type of God that you and I worship. The kind of God who, although he does not compromise on sin, he is a compassionate God who is forgiving, who redeems our ugliness to bring us into a life of righteousness. He says, you can start over. He says, I I don't care how many times you've sinned. He says, I can still use you. I can forgive you. I can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
and I can set you out on a path to be used of God, that, my friends, is really good news. Would you please stand? Maybe, like Noah, you too have fallen in sin. Maybe you've had a moral failure. Maybe you've had a bad habit that you just haven't been able to break, haven't been able to conquer. Maybe even today you're still dealing with it. Maybe you've got a temper and You've become angry and violent. Maybe you said some words to your spouse that you shouldn't have. But can I tell you that does not disqualify you from being used of God once you have found forgiveness and cleansing. The next time you feel like God can't use you, just remember, Noah was a drunk. And Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. And Jacob, he was a liar. And Leah was ugly. And Joseph was abused. Next time you think God can't use you, would you remember that Moses had a stuttering problem? And Gideon was afraid. And Samson had long hair and he was a womanizer. And Rahab was a prostitute. And next time you think God can't use you, remember, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. And David had an affair. And Elijah was suicidal. And next time Satan tells you, you can't be used of God. Remember, Jonah ran from God. And Naomi was a widow. And Job went bankrupt. And next time you're told by your friends that you can't do anything from God for God, Can I tell you, John the Baptist ate bugs. And the disciples fell asleep when they should have been praying. And Martha worried about everything. And next time the enemy of your soul says, just give up. Can I remind you that the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once and Zacchaeus was too small and Paul was too religious and Timothy he had an ulcer and Lazarus (laughs) was dead perhaps This morning, God is inviting you
to start all over. Perhaps this morning you're recognizing that you have a glaring sin that only you and God know about it and he's been talking to you. And perhaps you thought you could never be used of God. And can I tell you, if God can use Noah and he can show up in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of great faith, God can use you. I'd like to invite you this morning. If you'd like to just dedicate your life to be completely used of God, I'd like for you to come to the altar this morning, which should mean 120 people should be standing at these altars because I believe God is calling all of us to say, Lord, I'm not holding anything back. I'm going to be totally committed to you this week, this year, the rest of my life. I'm giving you my family. I'm not holding any of my gifts back, my time, my finances, my kids, they're yours. But you could also be saying, Lord, the one thing that's hindering me is my sin. And you've loved me enough that you've convicted me this morning, and I'm going to give it to you. So as we sing this song this morning, could I invite all of us who are willing to say, Lord, I give you everything. I give it to you. Change my heart, O oh God, that I might be totally committed to you. Would you come and just stand here and let's sing this song as our testimony. Would you please come?
Heavenly Father, we want you to know that we have come here for a purpose this morning. We recognize that you love us so much that for some reason you've invited us to be a part of your kingdom expansion project by being your hands and your voice and your resource and your time. Father, we don't know why you would want to use us, why you would want to use our talents, our voices, why you would want to use our, our, our resources in our pockets. But Lord, we give them to you, not holding anything back. We're confident that this morning you're inviting many of us here today to take steps of faith that are huge for us because we know that we aren't superstars. We don't have great talents. We don't have great names. We don't have thousands of followers on social media. But we are confident that you're calling us. You're convicting us. You're putting things in our way that we can't get around. So, Father, here we are, living with our hands wide open in front of you, asking that you will take out of our hands or put into our hands whatever you know to be best. And, Father, there are some of us here this morning that are recognizing that you love us so much that you're convicting us. <laughs> that's love. That's not, that's not hate. That's love from a God who wants the best for us and we're convicted of our sin. That addiction has become too great for us and it's hindering a relationship with you. So Father, today we ask that you forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by faith we ask that you remove what hinders us from having a personal relationship with you and we invite you to replace that sin with a cleansing that only you can provide. By faith, we accept you as our personal Savior and want, to know, want you to know that we will follow you with all of our hearts by faith, trusting you. So Father, we, your people, right here at Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene want you to know that we love you with all of our hearts with all of our minds with all of our strength that your kingdom would be built up through our commitment to you in Jesus name we ask could I give you this benediction this morning may you receive the rest that the God of forgiveness offers this morning. Will you go from here realizing that God has supplied everything that you need to make grand and eternal use of ordinary people 
like you and me. So now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace because he's already gone before you. You're dismissed, my friends. I love you. Good to see you. Have a great week.